Well, we are going to be walking through the book of Mark, and this is week two of about 72. And so, wow, you know, we're, we've got a ways to go. But the reason that we have chosen the book of Mark is because we started off by looking at uh, the book of Ephesians. And constantly, the, the theme that was going through the, the book of Ephesians is, where is your identity found? Is your identity found in what you do, who you think you are, in uh, what job you have, what kind of degree you have, um, how much money you make? Is your degree or is your identity found in who you're married to, what kind of house you have, what kind of car you drive? Is it how, how your body looks? Is that where your identity is found? And Paul confronts the people of Ephesus and says, no, your identity is found in Jesus Christ. You find it constantly. It's in him. In him. In Christ. And that's where your identity is found. And early on, he says, he reminds his readers, that audience, that you have been chosen before the creation of the world to be holy, to be blameless. Adopted children of a king. That's who you are. Your identity is found nowhere else. And so what uh, God has just really laid on my, my heart is that if our identity is found in him, our identity is found in Christ, who do we need to look to? Who do we need to really study and get to know even better? It's not just a topic. How do we get to know the person of Jesus Christ even more intimately? And so we are going to be looking through, walking through the book of Mark. And this is week two. So if if you need a Bible, I encourage you uh, to kind of lift up your hand. We've got some on the aisles, the outside and inside aisles. Follow along. Um, This is, and if there's no more in the back, we can hook Look you up, just raise your hand. In, in those Bibles, it is found on page, uh, I believe, 694. And we're going to be walking through Mark chapter 1, 9 through 13. In this section, uh, it just immediately follows the announcement of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, prepare the way. Prepare the way of your hearts. Because there is one who is greater than I who is coming. I'm not unworthy to untie his sandals. There's a greater one who has come. A mightier one who is coming. Prepare the way of your hearts. Last week I challenged you to prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts. And for some of us, our worlds are just cluttered with stuff. The more that we can do, the better we are. The more engaged with soccer camp and this and that and this and that, 200 different things of our life, the better we are. Because that adds worth. And John is saying, I'm calling you out into the wilderness. I'm calling you out to be still where there's less distractions. And I'm asking you to prepare the way in your heart for a great one who is to come. This week, 
we meet the one for whom we're preparing our hearts. Follow along with me. Sorry, in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was tempted in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and the angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, When I first read this, I thought Jesus screwed up. You know, we live in the North American world that if you are going to be making an entrance, you do it big. If you do a grand opening, you do it big. You spend a huge chunk of change on mass marketing. You send out all kinds of flyers. You, You find the best marketing firm out there. And you send out the glossy kind of flyers. You, you, you create coupons for people to show up. The buy one, get one free, or just get one free. And you, everybody seems to show up. You, you buy the limousine to ride in. The one with the, you know, the Hummer with the, the hot tub in the back. You, you make sure that you have all the lights and the glitter. You have the red carpet that kind of comes up to the door. You do all the right things for your grand opening, for your entrance. You want to make sure that the whole world seems to know that this is happening. If you would take a business marketing approach to how Jesus did it, you'd say that Jesus missed it. He missed his opportunity. He missed an opportunity for reaching as many people as possible. He missed it. Jesus came in discreetly, quietly, without any fanfare, not a trumpet. He didn't bring even his, you know, his whole entourage. He had no entourage. Jesus just walked up. And on top of that, he came from Nazareth. In Galilee. Nazareth is a no-name town. It's kind of like saying that he came from Piatone. Not much happens in Piatone. Sorry, folks. But that's like saying, from Piatone. But Jesus came from Piatone, or Nazareth, from in Galilee. So he didn't even come from the right city, you know, if you're in the fashion world, you've got to be at least from Paris or, or New York to be able to have a name and be recognized or the right school. It doesn't even give Jesus any kind of credentials here. So John is saying, prepare the way of your hearts because there's a greater one, a mightier one, a far more powerful one that is coming than me. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong, the dirtiest part of the sandal, the smallest part of the sandal. I'm not worthy to untie the one the one's shoes, who is coming. And you know what? 
I just baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is a big thing. It's a big deal. This is what we've been waiting for. And Jesus walks onto the scene, walks to the water like everybody else, and asks to be baptized. Other accounts in the Gospels show John going, hold on, Jesus. I know who you are. What are you doing here? Back up. Back up the boat, Jesus. I just told everybody you're the big kahuna. And you want me to baptize you? And Jesus says, do this so that I can fulfill all righteousness. Do this. And I'm sure in John the Baptist's mind, he's going, Jesus, my cousin, brother, you, you missed it. You missed the boat. So I wonder, what does this have to say to us? As I enter this story, as we enter this story together, what is it that we need to see? What is it that we need to hear? What is it about our heart that needs to uh, take a shift? What is it about our, our North American culture that needs to be Dropped, changed, re-looked at, revamped, revitalized, cut out. What is it that we see about this Jesus who makes this anticlimactic entrance? I really wonder what it looks like for me. And this week as I, I sat in it, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things in here that um, I had to wrestle with. You know, there's this, this whole thing that talks about in the first section of John chapter 1 that uh, John came baptizing in the desert region, and this is verse 4 of chapter 1, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John's chief role in being out there is to say, hey folks, time to refocus. You've been doing this, you, you, know, uh, you think you're doing the right thing, you're attending synagogue, you're being faithful, you might be offering sacrifices, you're doing all these things. Let me tell you about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that was John's sole message. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, John would be out in the desert preaching. And the whole countryside would come. They would all show up and they'd hear this this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because the people are going inside, you're right. There's something not right about my life. There's not something, something is just not wrong with Something's not right about this society. This is, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something greater. And it's, it's this call to go back. And then Jesus shows up. For baptism. A baptism of repentance. Jesus. The perfect 
God made man shows up on the shores of the Jordan River, a dirty river, missed out on all these marketing campaigns. Perfect God-made man shows up on the shores of a dirty river for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Is Jesus missing it again? Does he not recognize that he's the perfect God made man? He doesn't need this baptism because he's sinless. And so I'm, I'm sitting at my desk debating, talking it out with Chad and saying, okay, what is going on here? How do we explain this one away with Jesus, the perfect God-man, coming onto the scene and wanting a baptism for forgiveness, for repentance? What is he repenting for? He's not. He doesn't need to. And, of course, Chad, he's the music guy. I don't know. Don't have to explain it, man. Just play a little rock and roll. And so it's like, okay. So I I have to sit down with Eric Cook, who is our... our, um, the pastor of Peace Community Church, and they happened to be walking through this exact same thing at, at Peace Community Church. And I said, okay, Eric, give me a little bit of insight. What do I do with this? Because this is the perfect Son of God, made man, showing up for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I don't know. Maybe that shouldn't be your focus. But it's in there. So what, what do you do with this? What, what, is, what is Mark trying to say to us? We're these outside observers, these outside readers, but in reality, we're also in this picture. What does this say for us? The people of God in 2007, that Jesus Christ is willing to submit to a baptism that he doesn't need. And then I start wondering, okay, if Jesus is willing to submit to a baptism that he doesn't need, why? And what does that mean for me? If Jesus could have really been a part of something grand and something huge and start off with a bang at the, at the top, What does that say for us as a church, as the body of Christ, as we look at Jesus, and we look at our life as a community of believers? What does this have to say for us? I think we're confronted this morning with a a picture of a perfect of a perfect God who is coming quietly without any kind of fanfare or any kind of glitz and glamour. We've got this perfect God coming for a baptism of repentance and forgiveness that's not necessary. And instead, what did He choose? He chose a path of humility. He chose a path of servanthood. I want to encourage you to flip a few pages to your right 
Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse 35, and just to give you a little bit of um, what's been going on up to this point, this is getting towards the, the end of the life of Jesus Christ, where he has called uh, together himself some, some disciples, and he's got that, that inner group, the, the apostles, and he's got all these, uh, this following of people. And these people have been walking with him every step along the journey for about three years. So he's been pouring his life. He's been modeling what it means to be a servant to these, these disciples of his. And then in verse 35, Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Because they've recognized that there's something powerful about this Jesus. They've seen him heal. They've seen him do some amazing miracles. They've seen the people's response to him. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant. I think that's a real polite word for upset. They became very upset. Put your own... Words in there with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise over authority, authority over them. But look at this phrase. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, what does it say? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we've got this this picture of this perfect God-man arriving on the shores. And there's crowds of people, and John standing in the water going, Jesus, this really isn't for you. I want to step off to the side. Maybe you should baptize me later. You know, kind of mumbling under his, his voice and saying, we'll talk later. But no, Jesus, baptize me. Because I must identify with these people. I must identify with these people. And in Mark 10, it talks about this baptism that I receive is really a, a picture of this baptism into death. I must receive this. I must, I must identify with these people. I must put myself in a position of full 
humility. I must, they must see that I am joining them in what God is doing. And if you look uh, farther to your right, to uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. You can look in the front of your Bible if you need the numbers. There's this idea of that Jesus says, you know, if the first must be last, whoever wants to be great must become a servant, must become a slave to all people. This is a totally different picture of, of who Jesus really is. In our North American society, if you do this for Jesus, Jesus will just do this for you, and you will become greater and greater and greater. And Jesus says, hold on, let me flip the coin. Greatness is not found in what you have. Greatness is not found in what you have achieved. Greatness is not found in these things. Greatness is, and we even see it in Luke, to become like a child, to become a servant, to become a slave to all. And in Philippians chapter 2, starting at 5, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. I love this because this, this shows exactly what's happening on, on the, the Jordan River. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, what did he do? He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At what point was, was Jesus Christ exalted? Was it his life here on this earth? Is that when people got it? No, it wasn't. You even look at the crucifixion accounts, and you get Peter who's going, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know who he is. Don't associate me with him, because I don't want to be the next one up on that tree. I don't want to be, I saw how he's going to get, I don't want to be associated with that. His disciples, even after his death, were perplexed and confused and scared to death. But it's only after the resurrection where all of a sudden it clicks. The lights come on. It's like, ah, Jesus in Technicolor 3D. Got it. He is the God. I see why he subjected himself to baptism. I see why he did all these things. And even in our lives, I wonder, are we looking for glory now, are we looking to be noticed 
now? Are we looking to be appreciated now? Are we looking for that degree that will give us the authority that we need so that we can exercise our authority over others now? Or is the model that Jesus Christ showed saying, listen, you must become like a servant. Not just a servant, the the lowest of all servants. You must become a simple man, a simple woman that is not looking for any kind of nobility or hats on the back or, hey, way to go, slugs on the shoulder. He's saying, listen, if if you're following me, the road to glory is long. And even in this lifetime, you may not see any glory. But you'll get your right place in heaven. It's the being faithful in the now, the right now. And serving right now, right here, right where you're planted. Whether that be in high school, whether that be in college on your floor, whether that be uh, in your job place. Whether that be wherever it is that God has you planted, God is saying, listen, be faithful right now as a servant. Be faithful right here, right now. And so what is it that God is saying to you right now? What is it that you need to be faithful in in servant-likeness? And this is not my ploy to get more kids in the, the children's ministry. Not, more, not my ploy to get you to go pick up garbage on October 20. This is not my ploy to get more people serving within Missio Day. This is, this is Christ's call to follow Him faithfully and seeking no glory. being the quiet people behind the scenes who understand that prayer of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where you get, okay, I got it. I got it, Jesus. I'll be faithful right now because I want to see your kingdom come here And I will serve your kingdom. Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, even even in the Gospels, there's this, uh, a rich man came to Jesus, a rich young ruler. And if you're familiar with the story, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. I want to be a part of this group. And Jesus says, awesome. Here's the one thing that you need to do. And it's a true test to see where your heart is. Because I 
I think Jesus was thinking, I think you're serving yourself. I think you're serving you. Jesus said what? Go and do what? Sell everything that you have. Okay, as much as that would really help offerings at Missio Day, I'm not, I'm not saying to do that because then our benevolence would really have to get, get crazy. But, um, but what Jesus had to say to a rich young ruler, you're, you're serving yourself, you're serving your needs, you're serving your wants, your needs, your desires. Are you really willing to count the cost and follow after me? Because following after Jesus is not this, this glory glory, gold paver kind of highway. It's costly. It's painful. It's dangerous. It, it, it even leads to death because, you know, Jesus said to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, oh, you'll, be, you'll receive the baptism. you got the same kind of baptism that I got. That's cool. You know what happened to James and John? Martyred. They died to death for martyrs. So Jesus said, hey, come follow me. Come on. Come follow me. And we're going to see that in a couple of weeks where Jesus is starting to call his, his disciples to him. And that's scary business, this following Jesus in the way that Jesus is calling his people to follow. But here's the beautiful thing. As Jesus submitted to a baptism that he didn't receive, he's coming up out of the water. And at that moment, it talks about the heavens are torn open. The Greek word there uh, is where we get the English word schism or schizo. Schizophrenia. And it's talking about this tearing. The heavens were torn open. So it's this idea that whatever is torn apart is not easily mended back together. The heavens are torn open, and you have two things happen. A voice is heard, and something like a, a dove comes down on Jesus. At that moment, God is breaking into this world. And this world will never be the same. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. I am. Thank you for being faithful. I'm pleased with what you are doing here. And the last time, these Israelites really, there's two different images the Israelites would have been seeing and thinking of. The first was way back in Genesis where the Spirit of God was hovering much like a dove over this formless, voidless earth that is needing to be created and ordered. And then God spoke and brought creation together, recreated. Another time would have been at the time of... uh, The flood in Genesis, where the earth was totally destroyed, and the only ones that were spared was Noah and his family, 
and a stinky ark of animals. And at this point, Noah sends out, sends out birds. And Noah knew that there was peace on earth when the dove that he sent out came back with what? An olive branch. Came back and said, ah, there's peace on earth. God is creating, recreating the world again. Well, the, the early fathers, Leah, well, the early fathers had something to say about this. The dove appeared as a sign of deliverance from the tempest and bearing an olive branch published the good tidings of serene presence over the whole world. All these things were given as a, a type of things to come. It's this foreshadowing. It's a shadow of greater things to come. In this case, the dove also appeared not bearing an olive branch, but doing what? Pointing to our deliverer from all the evils, bringing hope filled with grace. For this dove does not simply lead one family out of an ark, but the whole world toward heaven at her appearing. Instead of a branch, she conveys the possibility of adoption for all the world's offspring common. God breaks in in amazing ways. God just seems to say, hey, let me show you something. Let me show you how I work on my time, in my ways. And are you willing to join me in what I'm doing? And if you're willing to join me in what I'm doing, let me tell you, it requires that you come as a servant. Because that's what my son did. So as a church, I wonder what that looks like. For you as an individual, as a student, as a parent, as a mom, a dad, single person what is it what is it that we're being called to or called from are we willing to put on servanthood even if it means that we receive absolutely no thanks or no recognition I'll tell you, there's a danger for me as a pastor. I'd love to be globally recognized. You know, there's something inside of a guy that likes that. To be known, to be loved, to be respected. To get my self-worth from what I do. And what other people say about me have lots of fanfare. I, I, you know, and these are just prideful thoughts. There's days where I just go, man, I would love to have a church. 400, 500 people. Oh, could you imagine? It would be sweet. We could have billboards. 
We could have a huge building. We wouldn't have to worry about, you know, office rental because everything is taken care of. That'd be sweet. Sweet. But is that really what we're called to? Especially when that early church looked nothing like that. They met house to house. They didn't have these gargantuan churches. They met in little homes. And they exploded in their numbers. What is it that God is calling you to? To us. What is He calling us to? And again, I'm the pastor with no answers. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me and my family. We've got Annabelle who lives at the end of our road who is bedridden. She has not been out of her house for about a year and a half. Eighty-some years old. No visitors. Even her kids who live in Mokina don't come visit her but maybe every other week. Maybe it starts there for my family. Maybe it means simple things like dragging a a recycle bin or a garbage can back to the garage of my neighbors just because I called to serve. Maybe that means uh, having my eyes open opportunities to serve people that I don't know. Maybe unwed mothers. I don't know. But I know that God is calling me and my family to something else. So what is it God is calling you? Calling us We seek to be faithful in what God is already doing. Let's pray. God, the beautiful thing is, is that uh, you know, you know what it is that we are called to. You know that. uh, Our lives are crazy and hectic and that um, we are glory hounds. We want glory. We want to be recognized. We want and we want and we want. But Lord, as we follow more closely to you, it's not about us. It's not about our wants, our needs, our desires. It's really about you. So God, I just ask that even in this moment, in the rest of this day and the rest of this week, Lord, that you work it out in our hearts, in our community of faith. God, I just ask that as you you broke in, as you tore open the heavens at that time for the baptism of Christ, Lord, that 
in our own lives, the heavens of our life may just be torn open. And in some strange way, we can even hear you say, this is my son. This is my daughter, whom I'm well pleased. So God, as as your people, we know that we have junk. We know that we have pride. We know that we've got family histories and we've got all these other stuff that seem to block and cloud our our vision, in our ears, in our hearts, from knowing your will. God, I just ask, remove those today. And may our attitude be the same as Christ Jesus, who took on the very nature of being human. Jesus, we want to hear you. So God, I just ask that you continue to prepare the way in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church. Make straight those paths so that they point only towards you and your glory, that, God, you may have the honor that is due your name. God, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.